0: If you're looking for a happy place, you have found it once again. Welcome to Live Happy Now, the podcast dedicated to bringing you closer to your peak happiness through real positive psychology that you can apply to your daily life. Relatable stories. There may be a little bit of fun mixed in there as well. I'm your host, Jr. Houston, and so pleased that you are continuing to make us a part of your day, a part of your week. However, and whenever you may be listening, it is so wonderful to have you with us. And we, of course, want to thank uh, all kinds of folks that are with us, including, of course, Live Happy Magazine, available on newsstands wherever fine magazines are sold. And our partner, Life Reimagined, and their website, lifereimagined.org, which is just filled with a lot of the same things we're bringing you here. Great process. is to go through all kinds of resources for you you know they say as you awaken it to the power of happiness so do your dreams so what's next Well, go to lifereimagined.org to find out. Now, this is a conversation that I know our COO, co-founder and uh, everything director, uh, Deborah Heiss, was excited about having. It is a conversation with Caroline Miller. Now, she's recognized as one of the world's leading positive psychology experts in the areas of goal setting, grit, happiness, success, and how to apply it to your life. she's one of the first graduates of the University of Pennsylvania's Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program and is author of a couple of books creating your best life and positively caroline and in this episode she discusses goal setting how to become greater and her new book authentic grit with live happy coo co-founder and editorial director deborah heiss
1: you wrote this famous book at least it's famous in our space called creating your best life can you tell me about that book what led you to write it
2: Yes, um, I was in the first class in the University of Pennsylvania MAP program in 2005, 2006. And early in the year, I ran across this thing called goal setting theory, which I'd never heard of. And I'm a coach and coaches set goals. Um, and I'd always worked in the, in the space of motivation and achievement. And I was kind of stunned that I didn't know any coaches who knew the science of goal setting. And then Chris Peterson, I was so fortunate to have Chris Peterson lecture every month, um, talked about the traits of happy people. One of them was self-efficacy. And so I put it all together, and so for the first time, made this connection between goal setting and, um, and happiness and how um, success is preceded by happiness, no matter what department of life you look at. And I realized that not only were there no evidence-based goal setting books on the market, it was the law of attraction. If you want it, you get it kind of stuff. And um talked to Marty and I said Marty I want to write a book on the you know how to set and accomplish goals but I want to link it with the science of happiness. And he said don't you want to write about healthcare and I said no. <laughs> he said okay go write the book. And so when Creating Your Best Life came out it was published by Barnes and Noble which is Sterling Publishing. It was the first evidence-based book on how to set and accomplish goals that had ever been published. I'm still shocked by that. I'm truly shocked that that the public was was not didn't have any real um good solid you know things to work with so when it came out um it it made a big splash it's done exceptionally well it's been translated into many languages and i'm very very proud of it um because i think if you're going to work on setting and accomplishing goals you have to understand the science of well-being and flourishing first otherwise there's really not a lot of point in setting goals at all
1: well i know um like you said there are thousands of books out there on setting goals but you're right the majority of them aren't evidence based most of them are anecdotal most of them are hey this kind of worked for me maybe mm-hmm. it'll work for you kind of stuff mm-hmm. which i'm not not going to knock the benefit the benefit of of those example those books that give examples but the evidence-based um, piece really is intriguing to me. Can you just give me – can you give our listeners just a couple of points of uh, goal-setting and how
2: that works? Well, if you start with goal-setting theory, which is Locke and Latham, it breaks goals into two different kinds, performance goals and learning goals. I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a whole science of breaking goals down into it. And then also a lot of people talked about smart goals. As you said, there was anecdotal books. There's Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar. I owned all of them. There were no footnotes, no research. So it was basically if if I say do it, do it. And um, – and so I discovered that, the, you know, outside of smart goals, there was this thing called grit and how the happiest people wake up every day to clear cut goals, particularly these long term goals that require grit, which is Angela Duckworth's work. And so you really have to study passion and perseverance in pursuit of long-term goals. So there's a science of grit, science of resilience. You have to understand performance goals and learning goals. And then all this great research on self-regulation. You've got to include your storehouse of self-regulation. How much do you wake up with and how do you augment it? How do you bring it back if it's gone by the end of the day? So you have to understand that piece too. The Obama White House is being run by social psychology research and the self-regulation research. And then I was really, really proud of the chapter on priming. Um, No one had ever, ever written about the the uh, science of priming and how your environment and words and music and aromas, all of these things impact your goal pursuit every day. Um, And so you have to understand what forces are shaping you. So I wrote about priming. That's a big one. And then finally, my favorite was Active Constructive Responding, Shelley Gable's work, on how the only right way to respond to someone else's good news is with enthusiasm and curiosity. And I heard her speak, I think at an IPA conference, and she talked about this research in a little bit more depth and and had this throwaway comment, which was, oh, and the first person you share your good news with is really the, the determinant of whether or not you consider pursuing that goal. And I'm thinking, what? You know, the first responder... You might abandon all goal pursuit if you share it with the wrong person. So I ran up and buttonholed her. I said, I got to make sure I got this right. The first person you share your goals with, if they don't respond with enthusiasm and curiosity, your research shows that you're more likely to abandon your goals in the coming week. And she said, yes. I was like, nobody knows that.
1: Nobody does. Nobody does that, Nobody I mean, knows that, that. and that, that that explains so much. You yeah. know, somebody can can be just really, really uh, enthusiastic about their new job, or they're in sales, and they're like, "Hey, we got this great new product," and they go talk to one customer, and the customer says. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. They may, not, they may never take that next step. Yeah. That's fascinating research. It if is you, fascinating. If you apply it to your conversations, you think, wow.
2: You And people just, I see light bulbs go off and eyes getting very, very big when I talk about this um, in workshops and speeches and the rest of it. Because a lot of people will go share it with people they think will be happy for them, their mother, their sister, their brother-in-law, their (laughs) boss, whatever, because those people should be happy for you. And it's just this massive wake-up call that there are lots of people who are surrounding you who really don't want you to change, really don't want you to succeed. So you can't be asleep at the wheel when it comes to setting and pursuing goals. So there's this um, area of goal setting that I included in Creating Your Best Life called goal shielding. It's a really big deal. You have to shield your goals. Um, so there's a lot to the science of goal setting. So When I go into companies and I find out they've set all these goals, like Harvard Business Review wrote a great article, best title in the history of Harvard Business Review, Goals Gone Wild. And it was just this look at all these disasters with goal setting where performance goals had been set and people's comp pay and you know annual reports were tied to hitting these performance goals, and they were learning goals. So what you find is that people compromise their values and they cut corners, so they're disasters. I go into companies who have set goals for... Thousands of people based on inaccurate goal-setting research. So that's why I was so stunned to find this book existed called Goal-Setting Theory. I went over to Temple, which was near Penn. I Xeroxed that whole frigging book, all 500 pages. <laughs> Don't because tell I, the publisher. I, well, okay, right. Sorry. Whoops, <laughs> I didn't do that. I took pictures in my brain. Um, but I'd never seen it. I was so excited. I was like touching it. I was like, does anybody know that this thing exists? And the answer was no. That, that's... Uh, that's amazing. And and
1: you know, in the interest of time, I think the only way to cover everything in your book is to advise our listeners to go go check out Creating Your Best Life because right. I want to move on to you're writing another book right now and it's and it's called Authentic authentic grit. Right. Tell
2: us a little bit about that. Okay. So grit was chapter nine in creating your best life. And that was before Angela Duckworth has gotten very famous, rightfully so, for her grit scale, which is predicting who drops out at West Point, who finishes Teach for America, who makes special forces teams, um, even which men stay married. And I was fascinated by the pursuit of long-term goals. And so um, what I'm doing now, because the burning question in the field of grit is how do you cultivate it? How do you cultivate the mindset? How do you cultivate the behaviors that allow people People to hang in there when you've got these long term goals. So, um, I gave a TEDx talk last September about this where I put forward some ideas about some of the things I think people can do every day. So it's not just gritty people are over on Mount Olympus or there are those special people over there. all of us can become grittier by doing a couple of things differently. I think one of them is just asking yourself, why not? Instead of saying, why should I do that? Why not? Another thing I find when you look at really interesting stories like um, the Navy POWs in the Hanoi Hilton in, during the Vietnam War, they do something I call change the channel. And so when life gets hard and when they're pursuing really hard goals, sports psychology research shows that the body gives up when the brain tells it to give up, right? And so... Gritty people go to a place in their brains where they see something or they have a spiritual quote or they sing a song. Um, In the Hanoi Hilton, Stockdale would do math problems. And so um, I think people need to create a channel in their brains where they go to. And I also find that gritty people create teams around them, the heliotropic effect, where they turn towards people who give them light, who light them up and motivate and inspire them. And so um, I think it's a critical that all of us learn this. Why? Because, you know, this self-esteem parenting movement has created the least generous, gritty generation of all time. And that's what I've been talking to a lot of audiences about is how do you deal with these millennials? You can't even give them a performance review without them crying. If you tell them they met expectations, they cry. It's in their minds, it's like getting a C or something and they want an A, which is exceeded expectations. Um, So an interesting fact I just discovered is that even though current students, their fund of knowledge is less than students in the 60s and 70s, current students believe they're smarter than people who've come before them. Um, and that's just one interesting thing. So we have a nation that I think, you know, the research shows they're depressed, anxious, slow, um, unmotivated, and uh, we have to go back to the the ideals and the behaviors that, that colonized our country, which was neophilia, the search for new, and a certain amount of a Protestant work ethic, just working hard, not being a quitter. And um, so I was speaking to middle school students while I was here in Dallas, and uh, they were rapt. They were thousands. I got thank you notes throughout the afternoon saying, You changed my life. Um, That's you wonderful. made me want to, yeah, you made me want to not quit. And at one point in the second assembly, I said, How many of you have parents who overpraise you? And most of the hands went up. Wow. They don't. They want to know. They want to know what does it take to be elite. They're tired of being mediocre, and they know it. And they're being given participation trophies for nothing. And I've seen research showing um, it's called the partial reward extinction effect where kids stop trying, rats stop trying. When you give them so many rewards, sugar, water, trophies, whatever, their brains stop lighting up, and this is where you get the fixed mindset. They just stop trying. And so that's what we have is we have a generation of kids who've gotten participation trophies, which means the bar is so low to be special, that they get into college, and this is another big deal now, microaggression. They feel wounded if there's a classroom discussion about a topic they don't like. If they haven't heard it, they don't like it. They file these protests against um, professors who are losing their jobs. So we have dumbed-down reading lists, dumbed-down college courses. You know, these are kids who can't critically think because they can't stand two sides of a debate, and this made the New York Times op-ed pages earlier this year when Brown University brought in two sides of the rape culture and students felt so scared and like it was a hostile environment on campus that two sides of a debate would actually happen. Brown University created a safe space, which they stocked with Play-Doh, chocolate chip cooks, and videos of frolicking puppies. And this is where these 20-somethings went to feel safe. Now, what have we done?
1: What have we done? So for those of us who are older than our 20s, that's kind of a shocking... uh that's kind of a, a shocking concept, because that's not what college was like when I was there. No. Um, so, obviously, uh, the research shows that grit is something that can be taught. Yes. Um, otherwise, you know, what's the point of having a conversation about it? Is it something, though, that has to be taught when you're young, or is it something that you can acquire when you're older? I mean, what are, these, what are, what are the millennials, what do the people that are already in the workforce do if mm-hmm. they didn't have mm-hmm. the gritty upbringing or the, the, the upbringing that provides them grit.
2: Well, I believe it can be cultivated. And I think Angela believes that too. So her research shows about half of your ability to be gritty is inborn, much like happiness, which is fascinating. Um, and I point to myself as exhibit A, because in growing up, I was successful and I was talented, but I wasn't gritty. So I would do things where I would shine. So I was a swimmer and I had good grades and the rest of it. But the thing that drove me to my knees was my eating disorder. So back in the 70s and early 80s, I developed bulimia before anybody knew how to get better from it. And it was the thing that I couldn't I couldn't beat it, and um, I finally saved my own life before anyone knew how to get treatment for this thing, and I wrote the first book by a survivor of uh, bulimia called My Name is Caroline, and then I just wrote the sequel, Positively Caroline, and I developed grit to save my life, so it's interesting that in the, the seeds of your biggest failures, if you want to call them failures, people discover what it is that they want to live for, and that goes back to what are you passionate about? And um, and so one of the things I do believe is that if we fail, if we allow ourselves to fail, allow our children to fail, we can discover what does it take to actually harness our strengths and become extraordinary. And that's what it's about, is becoming extraordinary. So yes, you can cultivate it. For some people, it's easier than others, but I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think everyone could learn it, because we have to learn it.
1: So... You, you talked a little bit about, you, 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 well, you, you cultivated it in yourself. Uh, were you aware that this is something you were doing? Was it intentional, or did you just somehow uh, find the right path to develop these skills?
2: That's a good question. Um, I would have to say yes. One of the things about grit is you have to have high self-regulation or high willpower. So one of the signs of addiction, alcoholism, eating disorders, is that you give in to temptation very easily. And you never learn how to say no to yourself. And so, yes, I deliberately knew that I had to stop this kind of instant gratification, which is so common now. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people wake up and want likes on Instagram? I mean, it's driving them to take these ridiculous selfies in front of trains. I mean, come on. And so, um, yeah, I had to learn how to delay gratification. And I think that's one of the things that's so hard for this generation to do. Do you know they, in the '60s, people, the kids could hold a pose and freeze tag for seven seconds, and now they can only hold a pose for four seconds. Um, and, and our attention span is one second less than a goldfish. I mean, how in God's name can anybody learn to self-regulate when this is the environment we live in with technology and distractions and likes and this and that? And so we have to go back to basics. And I think this is what the next wave is is i think kids crave it they want it and we got to teach them
1: so the new book authentic grit when is it coming out
2: i don't know you don't know all right
1: oh <laughs> well, i can hardly wait to read it um what what a what a what are some of the steps we as parents because i'm a parent i have yeah. three children what are some yeah. of the steps of parents that we should watch out for the, to make sure that we're not over indulging our children or over uh, rewarding our children to yeah. uh, basically robbing them of the, what they genuinely need to succeed later in life. What, what are some, What's some advice that you could give
2: us as parents? Well, okay. So it's easy to say, but I had to live through it too. And I'm a mom and I hate to see pain, but you have to let your kids fail. And when they fail, they have to pick themselves up. You can't just hire lawyers and bring in tutors all the time and kind of allow them to kind of um, be bubble wrapped and protected from the consequences of their behavior. So it, you, you have to let them feel the pain of the consequences at times. Also, I think what's not always spoken is that you can't be a quitter yourself because you can say a lot of things to your kids, but what are you doing? And, um, my daughter and I got black belts in Hapkido about 15 years ago. And one of the things that I thought was so interesting is the parents who quit had the kids who quit. Um, and so by the time it came to the black belt test, I was the only parent and all of those kids, you know, of the other parents had also quit. So you can't be a quitter. Um, you also have to have goals, you know, um, I think it's very hard to ask your kids to set long-term goals and persevere when you don't have them either. So you have to take a look at your own behavior um, and and don't don't let them have things immediately. Have them work towards them. So those are just a few ideas, but there's so many different ways that we can hold our children's feet to the fire um, and take a look at their their friend group too. Because as Angela found, grit is contagious, as is happiness and depression and loneliness. Um, take a look at the people they spend time with because that's often more predictive of what they do than anything else well thank
1: you so much for being today this is fascinating stuff i can hardly wait to read the new book i recommend everybody everybody listening uh go check out creating your best life it is a it's really really a a wonderful read and it's got a lot of great information also um caroline has a ted talk so if you all haven't seen that it's a a wonderful ted talk Mm -hmm. and thank you very much for joining us
2: today thank you thank you for having me
0: Wonderful stuff from Caroline Miller and Deborah Heiss. And uh, for more information about uh, Caroline Miller and to sign up for the Authentic Grit Challenge, visit livehappy.com slash grit. We've got free worksheets for creating your best life, a link to Caroline's TED Talk, and much, much more. Well, thank you so much for making us a part of your day. Once again, we want to hear from you. And there are many, many ways that you can reach out to us. You can share what you've learned with friends. You can go on social media. We've got a Twitter page, at Happy facebook.com slash live happy you can search my live happy on instagram and find us there and you can also send us an email we'd love to hear from you podcast at livehappy.com. and of course remember to share anything that really has had a positive impact on your life with us and all of your friends so that's going to do it for this edition of live happy now for caroline miller and for deborah heiss i'm jr houston saying so long and remember to always live happy